Good morning, everyone. Our text this morning is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It's there in your bulletin, or you can find it in your Bible if you like. Pew Bible is page 844. Listen as I read. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus' ministry can be looked at in three parts. There's the early part of his ministry up around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and the villages around Capernaum. And then there's the middle part of his ministry where he crosses over around into the Gentile areas of the Decapolis and Gennesaret. But then he comes back to Israel, and then he goes back to Gennesaret again one more time, comes back, and then the third part of his ministry, he turns his face with purpose, like a flint, Luke tells us in Luke 9 and 51, to Jerusalem, where he will go and complete the plan of God and fulfill his passion. Before we come to our text, I'd like to just do a cursory summary of what I've learned from from, uh, the Gospel of Mark in my time at the Meridian. John the Apostle put it well at the end of his Gospel where he said, Now if everything were written that Jesus had ever done, uh, the world could not contain the books that could be written, John 21 and 25. Following Jesus Christ through the Gospel of Mark is uh, an awe-inspiring thing. Uh, Jesus had huge crowds around Capernaum, but when he went into the area of the Gentiles, uh, his fame and his uh, renown exploded. Uh, And there were two times, and these were both in the area of the Gentiles, where Jesus did what I call mass healings, where he positioned himself and he just healed everyone. Who came to him. The first time was in Gennesaret. Jesus had sent his disciples ahead of, ahead of him into the, uh, across the Sea of Galilee while he went into a mountain to pray. And this is the time when the, the sea became turbulent and, and, uh, and they were in peril. And, and Jesus walked to them on the sea and there uh, they saw him and thought he was a ghost. And, uh, and then when they, Jesus said, It is I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, May I come out to you, Lord? And Peter did come out to the Lord. But then as Peter looked around at the wind and the waves, he began to sink and cried out, Lord, help me. And Jesus reached down and pulled him out of the water, and the water became a great calm. And after this, the disciples finished crossing the Galilee and came to the shore at Gennesaret. And the people there recognized him. They knew who he was because he had been there before. He had been there to heal the crazy man in the tombs on the eastern shore of the Galilee. The man running around naked and screaming like a crazed animal and terrorizing the locals, so much so that they tried to chain him and bind him, but they couldn't. He would break the chains, break the bonds. So everyone just stayed away from that area until Jesus came. Jesus came. Maybe you know the story. The man came screaming up to Jesus and the disciples. Jesus interacts with the man, speaks to the demon that's terrorizing this man, commands the demon to come out. His name is Legion, which is many, And the the many demons, in some mysterious way, entered a herd of swine, which then stampeded down into the Sea of Galilee and drowned, which caused terror in all the locals, and they all begged Jesus to go away. 
except the man who was healed, who was sitting in his right mind. He wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, no, you stay here and go to the towns and tell everyone what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. So the tomb dweller, the formerly crazy man, went and did just that. He became an evangelist for Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus Christ came back and landed there in Gennesaret on the eastern shore of the Galilee in the Gentile area, they all knew who he was and they came. They came uh, in the hundreds. Who knows how many came? And the ones who came, he healed all of their sick and delivered everyone from any kind of demon possession or ailment. A mass healing. And he didn't stop there. Then he traveled in the villages in the area of the Decapolis, which means ten cities, all Gentile area. And he went through their villages. I don't know how many people lived in these villages, but they brought their sick and they laid them in the streets. And anyone who just touched the hem of Jesus' garment were healed. He healed them all. He didn't hold back. I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think that's, uh, that's amazing. That was just the first time. The second time Jesus performed mass healing, he went back across the Sea of Galilee and taught around Capernaum for a time, he and the disciples. But then he decided to go northwest to Tyre and Sidon, to the area of Syrophoenicia, and then come down through Caesarea Philippi and come to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. But in Tyre, there was a Syrophoenician woman who came begging to the Lord and saying, Lord, heal my daughter who is demon-possessed. And maybe you remember this. Jesus said, why should the children, their bread, be given to the dogs? Because she was a Gentile. And the woman said, <clears throat> I think this is beautiful, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs <clears throat> from the children's table. I feel like that. I get to eat the crumbs from the children's table. Even the crumbs are a blessing from Jesus. He heals this Syrophoenician woman's uh, daughter. He says, your faith, let it be done for you. She goes home and the daughter is healed. Sitting, healthy, fine. Jesus healed her remotely. Then from there he traveled up north a little more through Caesarea Philippi and started working his way south to Gennesaret on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And there they brought to him a deaf and mute man. And this is the man that Jesus put his fingers in his ears, spit on his finger and touched the man's tongue and said, Epaphratha, which is the, means be opened. And he was healed immediately. And the people there... Remember, this is on the Gentile side. They said, uh, um, he has done all things well. The, the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. And Mark is the only one who records that particular miracle. And Jesus then from there made his way south to the eastern shore of the Galilee where he finds a place on a hill and he sits down. And the locals again heard of his arrival and his fame. And when they heard he was there, they went to their homes, they brought their lame, their blind, their crippled and their mute, and many others, and they, they put him at Jesus' feet. Just imagine this picture, okay? There Jesus sits, and the word put in, in, in Mark 
and in Matthew, is, is specifically that one by one they came and they placed him. They placed their sick before Jesus. Lord, heal, heal, please. And one by one, Jesus healed them. One by one by one. I imagine there was a line of people. There must have been a constant flow of people. And he did this for three days. For three days, he sat on that hill. I don't know if he took a break. I don't know if he slept a night or not, at night or not, but he did that for three days. <clears throat> How many people do you think Jesus could heal in three days? A lot of people. From all the areas all around, I would think it would be something akin to going to Palomar and standing or sitting in the parking lot and emptying the hospital out or something like that. I, you know, until I went through this and studied this, I didn't realize the greatness and the, and the magnitude of what Jesus did. No wonder his fame spread so far and people came to him. And, and this particular day, the, the busy crowd kept coming and changing, uh, growing. The people would be healed, and they would go back and get their friends, and they would bring them, and they would stay. Some would leave, and they would, uh, until on the third day, there were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And then after this extraordinary, miraculous ministry of healing, the mass healing the second time, uh, the Gentile people in this area said specifically, or Mark records specifically, that they glorified the God of Israel. So these Gentiles are now coming to Israel, coming to the one Messiah that God would send, that God had sent, the servant of the Lord, the Son of Man. Then not wanting to send them away famished, Jesus feeds them all. He feeds them all with seven loaves and a few small fish, which is a repeat of him feeding 5,000 people in Israel sometime earlier. But uh, eh, just feed 4,000 people. Men with their women and children just by breaking the, le- the loaves, the seven loaves and the few small fish. <clears throat> After feeding them, then Jesus and the disciples cross Galilee back into Israel where the Pharisees confront Jesus seeking a sign. But Jesus refuses and says to them, uh, you have the sign, you have the sign of the son of Jonah. And just as Jonah went to Nineveh, so also the son of man has come to you. But they refused Jesus and who he was. And then they left that area, Dalmanutha. They cross the sea again. They go to the northern shore, of, and they go to Bethsaida. And for a time, they're there. And then they walk north to Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, um, Jesus questions the disciples and says, Who do men say that I am? And they answered with the common rumors of the day, because these are the same things that were being said in the report of John the Baptist's death in Mark chapter 6, the same exact rumors. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say the great prophet. It's easy to tell someone what other people say about religion or what you believe, but Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And he asks us the same question, who do you believe that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? That's the important thing. Not not what Grace Bible Church thinks, not what your friends think, not what your mom and dad, your kids. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, you know this, that then Peter speaks up. Jesus, uh, in the question, answering the question, Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus told them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. But this is the first time that he spoke so plainly, so plainly and straightforwardly that he is the Messiah and that he would go to Jerusalem and be put to death by the leaders of Israel. But when Jesus told his disciples that, then you, you remember how Peter pulled Jesus aside and began to rebuke and, and Jesus and said, No, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But then Jesus rebuked Peter in front of all of them. Jesus' rebuke was more directed at Peter's words, what he spoke. And he said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not set your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then we come to our text. Because it was in that context, in that scene, Jesus looking around, he he saw the twelve, and he saw others, the crowd around. And this, this could not stand. This rebuke from Peter to Jesus could not stand. It had to be answered. And so Jesus rebuked him and uh, rebuked the words as they were Satan's words. And then Jesus said to the crowd, called them to him with his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The Lord wants you and me to hear these words today. What does it mean to take up the cross and follow Jesus? In that tense moment, in that context, when Peter had made this challenge to the Lord Jesus Christ, really challenging the very mission and reason for which he came. Well, Jesus mentions the cross. Now the cross, you and I will not face capital punishment on a cross exactly like Jesus. The Roman cross is probably the most awful symbol of capital punishment ever. So what does Jesus mean that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross? Well, I want to consider what Jesus says in three simple thoughts. And I'll put them this way. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must do three things. There's three things that you must do. First of all, you must desire to follow Jesus. And secondly, you must give something up. And thirdly, you must receive something. You must desire to follow Jesus. You must give something up. You must receive something. First, if you want to follow Jesus, you must desire to follow Jesus. It's a redundancy, isn't it? To want to do something is to desire something. To desire something is to want to do something. But that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, if anyone would. And the old King James is, whosoever will. Uh, If you desire, come. Would means you may if you want to, but you're not compelled to. You see, Jesus will not coerce or force you to follow him. He will not force you or coerce you to follow him. He calls you to follow him. He invites you to follow him. Jesus wants you to follow him. It's his desire that you follow him. John the Apostle put it this way in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Yet there are some of you who here who don't believe. He was talking to the Jews at that time. And, and then Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's one of my, I think that is such a blessing. Anyone may come if they desire. 
anyone, rich or poor, powerful or weak, educated, illiterate, free or slave, young or old, underline anyone, whosoever will may come and is called to come if you desire to come. But you must desire to come because if you don't desire to come, you won't come. That's a simplistic statement, but it's true. And the idea here is all are welcome. If anyone would, whosoever will. It's what we refer to as the free offer of the gospel. It's everywhere in the Bible. It's in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. It's in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. All through the the Old Testament, and, and I think of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, where we hear really from Ezekiel the heart of God. And the prophet says, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? He's speaking to Israel, and they had become apostate and become wayward, and they would eventually be exiled. But the call comes to all mankind. The Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Lord doesn't enjoy seeing people die, perish in their sin. He wants the wicked to turn from their way and live, turn back, repent, repent. Why would you die? Why would you turn down such a gracious free offer? If anyone would come after me, you may come. And I think of the announcement of the angels to the shepherds in the first advent When the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. To who? Which shall be to all people. It's to us. It's to anyone who hears, anyone who will listen. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. And you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. They're messengers from God. And this is what they say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward mankind. Men and women and boys and girls. God's intention is one of goodwill. That's why he sent his son. If he had not goodwill toward mankind, toward a fallen race, the fallen race that we are inherently, he would not have sent his son. It is a gracious gesture, and it is there for anyone to to lay hold of by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The offer of the gospel is a free offer. Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. You could say black and white, yellow and brown. You name the distinction, the ethnic distinctions, because the Lord of all bestows his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let those words ring in your heart as you go from here today. You can tell anybody you meet and you can tell them these words. Whoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Their brokenheartedness, their emptiness, their lack of purpose, friends you know at work, family. If you tell them that Jesus is the name by which every man must be saved, you're speaking the truth. And perhaps God will ring that home into their hearts. And you might see them converted. It's a free offer. If you want to follow Jesus, you may come, but you must desire to come.
Rich, poor, powerful, weak, doesn't matter, gender, ethnicity, God wants you to come. Why walk in the way of death when God offers life? His attitude towards mankind is one of goodwill. What would hold you back? Perhaps you're not a follower of the Lord yet. What would hold you back? Answer that question for yourself. What's, what's worth it to walk, to miss walking in the path of life? If you're a follower of Jesus, continue to follow him. Though the gospel is freely offered to all people everywhere, it's not a light or a flippant decision to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you want to follow Jesus, you must give something up. You must give something up. Why would Jesus use the cross in his appeal for followers? To me, it's not the the greatest uh, way to win friends and influence people. But Jesus was going to the cross And he was laying down his life on the cross. And anyone who would follow him must go the same way. I think Jesus wants us to understand the change that comes to those who follow him. He's not calling you and me to go to a Roman cross. But this change, it's a conversion. It's a radical reorientation. And it's best characterized by a death to one way of life and a resurrection into a new way of life. And I think that's why Paul says in Romans 6.3, Don't you know all of you who've been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. To get to newness of life, a death has to happen, a a denial. Something has to be given up, and that's what he's getting at. Um, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You must deny yourself. You must give up yourself. And if you have your bulletin and you see how it's structured, I, I had the verse laid out particularly this way on the page so I could explain that this is a... The, the, the opening phrase and the last phrase in Jesus' words, if anyone would come after me and follow me, come after me and follow me are translations of the same root word. So they are like the, you could call them B1 and B2. And they emphasize A1 and A2 in the middle. If you're going to come after Jesus, anyone, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. To come after Jesus and to follow him are from the same brute word. The central thought of this is denying yourself and taking up your cross. The relationship between these two is similar to the relationship between repentance and faith. Repentance is a denial of self. Faith is to take up your cross. And we can learn what it means to actually do this, to deny ourselves and to take up his cross from Peter's example, can't we? These words were directed right at Peter and to the other disciples. Peter had an agenda for Jesus' ministry, didn't he? He, 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 he didn't like what Jesus was saying. Uh, he wanted an agenda that led to greatness and glory and power, not humiliation and persecution and death. 
But in that moment, it was imperative for Jesus to set things straight, that these words and this idea was satanic. Peter had to give up his agenda, his plan, and follow Jesus as he fulfilled the redemptive plan of God. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He had to do this. There was no other way. And we hear that in the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, which should be all of our prayer. Peter had to deny himself. It took some time, but Peter came around to this, as we heard in our reading this morning, when Peter talks about that just as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We need to think in the same way that Jesus thought. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, no longer for what we want, but for the will of God. We live for the will of God. That's a simple statement, but when you think about it, what does that mean? What does it mean to live for the will of God? It's a path, isn't it? It's a path with a light on it, the light of God's word. His word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And and it is God's will that we walk in this path. And if we stray from the path, God will remind us by his word and by his spirit to stay on the path. But we live for the will of God. And then there's Paul's example of self-denial. Paul was an accomplished Pharisee in Israel, circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But just like Peter had his own agenda, so Paul had his own agenda. Remember on the road to Damascus what Paul was doing. He had gotten letters of authority from the leaders in Jerusalem uh, after having persecuted uh, believers in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and to go to the synagogues there. And if, if he found anybody there of this persuasion of the persuasion of the way, followers of Jesus Christ, that he was to bring them bound in chains back to Jerusalem. That was Paul's agenda. That's what he was all about. And that that little phrase as to the. Um, righteousness under the law, blameless, as to a zeal, a persecutor of the church. And you know what happened? Paul um, met someone on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, who are you? And Jesus said, I am the one who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul had to deny himself. He had to leave everything he was behind. And we know that from Philippians chapter 3 that Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul's former life is not just a zero on the ledger, it is a negative. It is a deficit. It would drag him down. <clears throat> he had to deny it all. He had to leave it all behind, all of his accomplishments as a, as a leader in Israel. It was all a loss. 
And of course, Jesus is the greatest example of self-denial, isn't he? His own words. And Paul says of the Lord Jesus that though he was in the form of God, he did not count it equality, uh, a robbery to be equal with God, but a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took upon himself a form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. In order to fulfill his Father's will, Jesus had to deny himself. The self-denial that Jesus calls Peter and Paul to required that they give up their own plans and purposes. But in giving them up, they received something far greater and of eternal value. And that brings us to our third consideration. If you want to follow Jesus, not only must you desire to follow Jesus, and not only must you give something up, but you must receive something. And that is seen in the taking up of his cross. The cross is a blessing. It's a symbol of life. This is what Jesus meant when he spoke of taking up the cross. Peter speaks of the way of the cross as a living hope. When he says, according to his great mercy, he caused me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The way of the cross, the way of faith in Christ is a living hope. And hope only comes through the cross of Christ. That's why it was necessary for Jesus to go to Jerusalem and to fulfill his passion. Paul tells us about the surpassing value of taking up the cross. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus was highly exalted by going to the cross, wasn't he? He was obedient to his father's plan and redemptive purposes. And then God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And there he sits at God's right hand, highly exalted. He received from God everything. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. Paul counted this treasure as of surpassing value to know Jesus as inestimable worth. Peter calls it a blessed hope, a living hope, the cross. The cross is a reminder of an awful, terrible, and bloody form of capital punishment, probably the worst ever devised by man. But Jesus' death by the cross is a reminder of how he took upon himself the guilt and condemnation of his people. So for us, it is a symbol of life. It is a symbol of life and blessing. It is through the cross that we are blessed. It is only through the cross that God made the way open that he could save and bless his people, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Before you were in Christ Jesus, you were under condemnation. Now you are not under condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. The way of death and now the way of life for us, for all those who believe. 
And that is the beauty of the cross, the blessing of the cross. It is the way of life. It is the way to glory. Why would you not desire this? Why would you not be willing to give up and deny yourself whatever it takes to have this pearl of great price? I know many of you have, but if you haven't, what could possibly be estimated as more valuable in your thinking? To have the Lord, to know the Lord, whom to know is eternal life. Paul summarizes this in his life as a follower of Jesus Christ when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and that life is a full and rich and purposeful, blessed life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. That's what makes it blessed and full and purposeful, because Christ has taken up residence by his Spirit in my heart and soul and in every believer's heart and soul. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live today in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me and for you. And and if you have not yet laid hold of this, it doesn't matter who you are, young or old, small or great, Jesus is offering it to you today. This is the day. This is the day of salvation. This is the time. You don't know whether you'll have another second. I went to a class reunion recently, my 50-year class reunion. And a number of my classmates had passed away, and I was, I was surprised, uh, actually. But I shouldn't be surprised, but 50 years, a lot can happen. But one particular classmate, their spouse, had a brain aneurysm. And five minutes earlier, they were fine. Five minutes later, they passed away. Right there, embracing each other. I'm dying, I'm dying, I love you, I'm dying. Passed away. We don't know. We don't know how much time we have. How many more breaths am I going to take? Uh, the cross and self-denial are a way of life for believers. And Jesus is offering this life to any who will take it. Now, Peter and Paul were very different men from each other with different backgrounds. Uh, but when they became followers of Jesus, they both had to deny themselves and take up the cross. So denying yourself and taking up the cross will be very different for each of us. We're all very different from each other. Very different from each other. It'll be different for you than it will be for me. I could go through a long list of things I willingly gave up because I was not expecting that day to be arrested in my tracks by the Lord Jesus Christ. I had been living my life as I wanted to Uh, with this false sense of freedom to go and do what I wanted, when I wanted, and how I wanted, without any consideration for the consequences of my actions. And I thought I was in control of everything. I thought I could do whatever I wanted until my heart was shattered and I was by myself and there was no one I could tell. There was no one who could help me. But I had heard enough about this Jesus all my life growing up. On the radio, I had been listening to some preachers. I was not yet a believer. But in that moment of crisis, when I was all by myself, I was converted more than 40 years ago. And I sang this simple, silly, Sunday school song, Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. 
Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I have not been the same ever since. Have not, now, whatever the theology of that song, you can pick it apart if you want to. But that was the day I received the Lord Jesus. And Jesus was the one who came to me. And I remembered everything I had ever learned about the Bible. And I went home and I got a Bible and I opened it up. And everything they taught me in school about the Bible was there. And I read it with wonder and amazement. This faith, is you can explore it for the rest of your life and never learn it all. It is profound and deep that great scholars can't take it all in. And yet the smallest child can answer the call of Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care who you... Well, I do care. I love you. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. If the President of the United States is listening, if the the, the dictator of Russia is listening, and any other magistrate around the world, or the smallest bum on a slum corner in L.A. or New York is listening and hears this, they can come and be converted. And have the blessing of life because of what Jesus says right here. Confronting Peter and putting Peter in his proper place. Helping him to understand that he had to deny himself and take up his cross. My point is, is that this general call is for all of us. But it's different to each one of us. So I appeal to you. If you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, don't lose heart. Continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke adds in his account of these words in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Every day you make a decision, you make a choice. Are you going to keep following Jesus or not? And you decide daily, Luke says. Take up that cross and deny yourself daily. Following Jesus is a daily endeavor, a daily undertaking, determination, and sometimes a struggle. But if you have setbacks as a believer, because we do, we have fits and starts, don't we? We fall into sin, we, we, we stumble into a mud puddle, or we slide down a ravine into a ditch, and we have to get back up again because of our sin. If you have setbacks or you stumble, remember God has made provision for you. He's made provision for me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a representative in heaven who takes up our cause. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So if you're a believer, continue to follow the Lord Jesus Take up your cross daily. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what's holding you back? What is it? There's something. If you hear my words and your wheels are turning, yeah, I'd like to follow Jesus, but you know, I'm too young. It's just, you know, what are my friends going to think about me? (laughs) I used to think that way. Maybe it's financial. You know, I've got everything I need. I have everything I need. I've got a a big fat bank account. I've got stocks. I've got properties. What do I need to follow Jesus for? Maybe it's intellectual. It's just this. What is this follow Jesus stuff? I don't. 
the cross? How am I supposed to? I, I, you know, maybe it's rational. It's foolish to me. I don't. It, it, how can how can one man die and take and represent us before God? I don't, I don't see how that works. Or perhaps it's personal. You just think like I used to think. Christians are just weird. These Jesus freaks that used to hand out tracts on corners when I was in high school and used to come to me and tell me they were praying for me, I wanted to stay as far away from them because they made me feel guilty for one thing and for another, they were just weird. I thought I saw them as strange. It was a personal thing. But don't let that hold you back if you have those same kinds of thoughts. You will only be giving up these things that are keeping you from God's blessing. Maybe you have great accomplishments that are precious to you, like Paul. He had these great accomplishments. Uh, to be a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, um, those are great accomplishments, great to think, great things to have and brag about and boast in. Um, but if you're trusting in accomplishments like this, I've been going to church all my life. My parents go to church. My whole family goes to church. I, uh, I'm a good person. I give to these philanthropic causes. I, I don't... I don't smoke or chew or hang around with people who do. I don't go to bars. I don't, I don't do all these terrible things like these other people. Give it up. Give it up. That's self-righteousness. It'll wear you out. You might think it's good at first, but it will turn sour and bitter in your life because you're just trying in your own accomplishments or in yourself to please God, that you might have something to boast about before God on the last day when you come and He asks you, why should I allow you into my kingdom and what are you going to say? You know, I sent my son and he called you to come and follow him, to deny yourself and to take up the cross and follow him, and he opened it up to everybody, he opened it up to you. Why didn't you come? I went through all this trouble to send him to the cross which was agonizing for me. I loved my son. I hated doing that. I don't know what God's mind was, but I'm sure it wasn't easy for God to do this, for the Trinity to agree to this plan. Whatever was in the mind of God, it was difficult. It took a lot of effort. The whole plan of history is centered on it. Why won't you believe it? If you're not a believer yet, what, what, what could possibly be more valuable than eternal life? And that eternal life, John says, is in my Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So Jesus calls you and me to follow him. Believers, unbelievers, no matter where you are, young, old, rich, poor, and I like how Jesus says it in another place in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To live in this world without Christ is a great burden. It'll wear you down. It'll wear you out. And in the end, it'll kill you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? Because I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when that day when I sang and prayed that little Sunday school prayer, I learned that, yes, Jesus, 
Jesus brought rest to my soul, and I know he's brought rest to many of your souls, and he will bring rest to your soul today if you will call upon him and follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we call upon you. You have sent your Son. The kingdom of heaven has come. The time is fulfilled. We live in the times of Jesus Christ. And the gospel has come. And we pray that many would believe. If there are any here in the sound of this sermon who have not believed, that they would come. Lord, that those who have come, all of us, we would be encouraged in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, O God, by your Spirit, you alone can do this work to open the hearts of those that need to be opened. To bring back the wayward follower who's drifted off back to Jesus, back to the one who is lowly and meek and give rest. O Lord, we confess that we are weak and we can only do so much. You must do this hidden work in our country, in our land. We pray across our country that the churches would be faithful to this gospel. That people would be instructed and told that they must. They must deny themselves and take up the cross of Christ if they would follow him. There is no other way. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for making this known to us by your word. You are so good and kind. And we thank you and, and pray for your blessing now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.